So here we are again in our series called God This We Believe. It's um, summer, um, it's the end of uh, May, it's Memorial Day, um, people are already heading off on a vacation, and there's a lot going on. You know, I was thinking about the things that are going on, on uh, around us as you come into the parking lot. You can see that the Firestone Tire Center is going in out there, and they're digging the living daylights out of the parking lot. And um, I became aware that they're looking at putting the canes in over here as well. And so they're selling some of the outlying um, parcels of land that are here. Um, I think to generate some resources is what they're doing. But I was thinking about how our community is changing. And then when you come inside of the building, our building is changing inside. Because we're kind of doing this refresh. But the, the more important thing is that we ourselves are changing. If you and I are not going through the process of continually changing, it's one thing to surrender your life to Jesus. It's another thing to let Jesus have his way in your life. It's another thing to begin to understand your identity in Christ as a human being and what it means for us to be that. And so as we do this series called um, God, This We Believe, we want to share some of the things that we believe and what does it mean for us to be a Christian and, and things like that. And we want to process through some of that. And so in the course of what we're going to share today, we're sharing the idea that you and I need to constantly be changing. And this is one area today that I think we need to grab a hold of. We need to stop living by our own energies and our own strengths and our own wisdom and our own powers. And we need to start saying, God, what is it that I need to know? And we need to believe, last week we talked about the fact that God does want to talk to you. But we've got to turn some things off and be quiet. And that might include even this process called fasting, okay? I don't very often fast very much. Um, it's kind of obvious a little bit as I'm buying a shirt here and there that I could probably fast a little bit. But I've just come to this understanding that fasting makes me hungry. And, and I just, I struggle with it. I do. I can make it for a good two or three hours. And then I need a snack to get through the rest of the fast. But believe it or not, one of the things that I've learned in years gone by is when I take a number of days or if I go on an extended fast, that one of the things that it does for me is it makes my, my being a little more sensitive to the things around me. I'm more sensitive to what I'm eating. I'm more sensitive to what I'm watching. I'm more sensitive to the tastes and the smells of things. But more importantly, I'm more sensitive to God and what he's saying to my soul. And so I'm very aware of that. So when we think about hearing from God, don't rule out that concept. But as we're living our lives and as, as, as life is continuing to unfold, um, the question we're going to begin to, uh, I want to begin today with is, are you living naturally? Are you living supernaturally? Or are you living, living naturally supernatural? Because one of the key um, elements of the vineyard movement across the world is that we believe in living naturally supernatural. Not supernatural and not natural. We don't just exist in our flesh in base desires and drives. We're not just animals. The flip side of that is we're not going to jump into, well, well, look at this. The concept of natural is being led about by your emotions, your circumstances, your desires, your greeds, your lusts, basically your basic human instincts. That's natural, okay? 
So if, if you're going to live natural, that's what it's going to look like, okay? If we're going to live supernatural, it's always being caught up in the hype and the drama of religiously flamboyant, unrealistic circumstances. Can I say it that way? This isn't going to show up, but supernatural, when I say supernatural, not naturally supernatural, when I say just supernatural, it's always being caught up in the hype and the drama of religiously flamboyant, unrealistic circumstances. And I was just trying to sit at my desk and say, now how would I describe supernatural by itself? How would I do that? And, and, you know, we can take the definition we're going to look at in a minute, but th that's the way I would describe supernatural. But look, listen to this and, and get a hold of this. Naturally supernatural is this. It's an understanding that we are, in fact, supernatural beings created by God. It is our actual identity and not a mode that we switch into during our prayer time, during our ministry times at church, that we are naturally supernatural beings. That it's not, it's not hype. It's not bigger than life. It's not supposed to be like that. It should not come with neon signs and posters. And it should not, it, it's just, we should just naturally be supernatural. We were created specifically by God to be in a relationship with God. Look at it this way. Natural, according to the absolute definition is an adjective. It describes existing or being caused by nature, not made or caused by not, uh, mankind. That's, that's just natural. Supernatural is something that is attributed to some force beyond scientific understanding or the laws of nature. So if I were to say naturally supernatural, it is to exist in an understanding of the normalcy of being beyond the natural. Now, do I have you swimming inside of your head this morning already? It's like, wow, or do we have to go deep on Memorial Day because we just want to get to the cookout? Could you just like cut to the part where you say we're spiritual beings inside of physical beings and we're just having this, 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 um, this um, circumstance on earth? Can you just please do that? I, I get that. I just want you to stay with me because I honestly do believe that, that what I want to share with you today, this idea of being uh, naturally supernatural, um, is it, 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 we need to re-grasp our identity so that we don't go through life killing ourselves trying to do things by our own power, by our own strength. And I want to share a bit of an odd story out of the book of Luke, chapter 10. Again, I'm in my Bible. Um, not that I'm not in my Bible when it's up on the, uh, on the screen, but I'm in my Bible this morning in Luke chapter 10. And I'm going to begin at verse 1. We're going to read down through verses 24. And it's the story of Jesus. And what he's doing is he's telling his disciples that there are some things going on that he wants them to be a part of. He's doing some leadership training. And this is how Jesus does it. Jesus does it. And then he gets some disciples. So Jesus does it and people watch. And then he do, Jesus does it and people help Jesus do it. And then Jesus sends some people out to do it, and Jesus watches them. And then after he left and went to heaven, Jesus sends us out. It's his leadership training model. Um, I learned it a long time ago. And, and you're going to see it unfold right here because the disciples have been walking with Jesus, and this is our text for the day. And so we say, come Holy Spirit, and begin to open up our hearts and our lives to what it is that you want to say to us. And the scripture begins and says, after this. So something was going on. There was a Samaritan opposition and Jesus talks about the cost of following him. What does it mean to be his disciple? And after this, 
It says, after this, the Lord appointed 72 others. So you know that there wasn't just 12 disciples. Because in here, there's 72 right now, okay, that are gathered together. So he appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to go, uh, excuse me, into every town and place where he was about to go. He told them, the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. Ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I'm sending you out like lambs among the wolves. Do not take a purse or bags or sandals, and don't greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, first say, peace to this house. If a man of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. If not, it will return to you. Stay in that house, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. When you enter a town and you are welcomed, eat what is set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God is near you. Now I'm going to put my finger right here for a second. Do you see who Jesus told to heal the sick? It wasn't the twelve. It was the 72. So when people tell you, yeah, that doesn't happen anymore, that was just for the disciples or the apostles back in the day, it's not true. It was for 72 people whose names we do not know. They knew that they were naturally supernatural. But it goes on in verse 10 and says, But when you enter a town and are not welcomed, go into the streets and say, Even the dust of your town that sticks to our feet we will wipe off against you. And yet be sure of this, the kingdom of God is near, and I tell you, it will be more bearable on that day for Sodom than for that town. Woe to you, Chorazin. Woe to you, Bethsaida. For the, if the miracles that were performed in you had been performed in Tyre and Sidon, they would have repented long ago, sitting in sackcloth and ashes. But, as it, but, excuse me, but it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon at the judgment than for you. And you, Capernaum. Will you be lifted up to the skies? No, you will, be, you will go down to the depths. He who listens to you listens to me. He who rejects you rejects me. Um, but he who rejects me rejects him who sent me. The 72 returned with joy and said. Now look at, look at this. They went out on their, their mission trip and they came back. And this is what they're excited about. Lord, even the demons submit to us in your names. So something very, very spiritual took place while they were out on their journey. But Jesus replies, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I have given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. However, do not rejoice that the spirits submit to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. At that time, Jesus, full of joy, through the Holy Spirit, said, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and the learned and revealed them to your little children. Yes, Father, this was your good pleasure. All things have been committed to me by the Father. No one knows who the, excuse me, uh, no one knows who the Son is except the Father, and no one knows who the Father is except the Son, and those to whom the Son chooses to reveal him. Then he turned to his disciples and pri said privately, Blessed are the eyes that see what you see, for I tell you, many prophets and kings wanted to see what you see, but did not see it, and to hear what you hear, and did not hear it. And so that's the passage that I want to share with you this morning as we begin this lesson, as we begin to look at this story. 
Because you've got a picture of Jesus and you get to see the depth of his interaction. He was not just interacting with 12 disciples. He was interacting with many, many people. Often it says, and large crowd followed him. And at this point, not only is he not just interacting with 12 disciples, but he takes 72 of the people that are following him and he sections them out and he says, you 72, I want to pair up and I want you to go out and this is what I want you to do. I want you to let people know that the kingdom of God is here. I want you to heal people. I want you to cast out demons. And so basically what he's saying is, I'm giving you my authority to do these things. You are to go out there and be supernatural. Don't be natural. Go out there and be supernatural and do these things. As we see this thing, it's absolutely amazing. Now, as they go out and they do these things, we don't see what happens in the interim and we don't know how long they're gone, but they come back. And Luke just goes from, they went out and they came back. And as they came back, they're like, oh, Lord, you should have seen what was happening out there. It was awesome. And, and Jesus is like, you know, I, I saw Satan fall from the heavens like lightning. Don't be surprised that, that demons, that spirits have to listen to you. Don't be surprised about that at all. Instead, rejoice that your names are written in the Lamb's book of life. In essence, he said, why does that surprise you? That's what he's saying. Lord, you should have seen that even demons had to yield to us. And Jesus is saying, why does that surprise you? Why does that impress you? I gave you authority. And they have to listen to me. So when we look at this passage, there's, there's a number of things that I want to go down through here and share with you that Jesus says that we can still say today. As we see construction going on in our lives, as we see construction going on in our building, and as we see construction going on in our community, these are things that we see. These things have not changed since Jesus' day. And that is, the harvest is plentiful. What that simply means is there are people all around you going to hell. And you and I have been called to share with them, to testify what Christ is doing in our lives and to invite them into church, invite them into small group. We have intentionally been um, um, called up by Jesus to join the mission when we surrendered our lives. And the fact of the matter is, nothing has changed. There are people everywhere that need to know Jesus. And, and part of my problem, and I'm, I'm testifying, part of my problem is every once in a while those people irritate me. And so rather than saying, man, these people need Jesus, this is an opportunity, I'm saying, get out of my way. You're holding me back. You're making my life inconvenient. And I look down and I realize, oh yeah, inconvenient. That's the word for 2019. That's probably why they're right here in front of me, because Jesus said my life, Joe's life, was going to be made inconvenient this year to share and invite people into a relationship with Jesus. So we need to recognize that that is still going on, that there are sheep out there that long to come home, and we've been called to do this thing, okay? So the, the harvest is plentiful, but he also said this, the workers are few. Not everybody wants to work. You ever been there? You ever been in that situation where not everybody actually wants to work? Everybody wants a job and everybody wants a paycheck, but not everybody wants to work. See? And we have that, right? Because which one of you has been at work one day and thought, as you looked around the office, I'm the only one working. If it were not for me, this whole place, this whole business would fall apart. 
And you want to go into the boss's, the owner's office, and you want to say, look, pal, I'm the best thing that you've got going in here. And if I quit right now, it's toast. We actually had a lady come to the church that I was at previous, uh, that I was at previously. She walked in and said, if you don't hire me, first time I ever met this person. If you don't hire me, this whole church is going to fall apart. It's like, seriously, that just came out of your mouth? Hi, I'm Joe. It's like, wow, but we've all been there, right? And Jesus is saying the same thing. Ladies and gentlemen, there is work out there. It's what our VBS is about. It's why our reckless student ministries went to Lake Reba, so that people could look in. Like when Jesus was doing things, and it said, you know, the, the disciples were doing stuff, and there was people all around them looking in. Some people joined them. Some people just watch and say, hmm, what's that all about? But there is a work to be done. The harvest, there's plenty of people to get saved. There's 88,000 people in Madison County, and it's estimated that 11% of them are in church on Sunday morning. Probably not this Sunday morning. They're, they're taking their souls into their own hands and going to the lake. But uh, that being said, the 11% of them are in church. And I'm wondering, do we go to church because we're hungry or do we go to church because of duty? And I'm not saying that every single time you walk in here, you need to be burning on fire and you should just, oh God. I, I mean, I would that. I would that that were the case. But let's just admit it. Some days we come in here and it's like, you're glad that the children are dressed, right? That you didn't accidentally bring one naked. <laughs> Hoping that there was still some leftover clothes and the compassion because you are not getting that child dressed because they're holding you back already. I went to a lady's house one time when I was bivocational and selling some supplies, and they were trying to get to the soccer game. They were trying so hard. She was a, a mom, and she stood about that tall. Her husband was about six foot, a little bit, I mean, about my height, and they had five children, lived in a big house on Armstrong Mill Road, beautiful home, you know, one of those runways that goes across from side to high, and you could see kids, and they were trying to get to a soccer game, and I knocked on the door to drop some stuff off to her husband. She opened the door and said, Joe, it's good to see you. Tim said, and all of a sudden, I saw this naked child go across the, you know, and it was like, whoa, what's going on here? She goes, we are trying to get to a soccer game, and I will take that child naked if it does not get some clothes put on. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes that's life, isn't it? I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes that's the way, don't bring your children naked, okay? But sometimes, because some of you are like, oh, that's an option? No, no, okay? But sometimes your life can feel that way. And you're like, oh, man. And I'm telling you, there is a lot of work to do. And I hope that when you come in here, you come in here hungry because you want God to speak to you. And one of the things he's saying to us today is that that harvest hasn't changed. It's plentiful. He's looking for church planters. He's looking for people called to be pastors. He's looking for assistant pastors. He's looking for worship leaders. He is looking for more. Praying that the Lord of the harvest will send harvesters. That's what we've been called to do. Jesus said that we should make disciples. So, we as a church are a worshiping, disciple-making church. It's why small groups are so important to you and I. 
The third thing that we learn here is that Jesus said, I'm sending you out two by two. Ecclesiastes says two are better than one and a quarter of three strands is not easily broken. Let me just read it for you. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity the one who falls and has no one to help them. Also, if two lie down together, they will keep warm. But how can we keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two people together can defend themselves and a quarter of three strands is not easily broken. Now look, that is not a wedding. We use it in weddings a lot as professional pastors, you know, because you've got to have some, some good scriptures to use. But that is not a wedding passage. That is a passage about community. That is a passage about what it means when you are part of a community. And this is why being a part of a church community is so incredibly important to your life. That when you're part of a church community and something happens and goes crash in your life, you make a phone call and something gets solved in your life. And it's absolutely amazing how that happens. But pity the person that's out there living by themselves and walks into the doctor's office, doesn't want community, doesn't want uh, uh, a church family around them, and the doctor looks them in the eye and says, listen, you're going to struggle with cancer. I think you can beat this thing. But who do they have to surround themselves with? We're called, Jesus sends us out two by two. And when we gather together as a body of believers, it is important to our souls that we understand that we are connected to one another and again listen to me this is why the whole small group thing here at this church is so important I was not gonna plant a church if we could not plant it as a church of small groups not a church with small groups because your small group leader is your lay pastor it's your first go-to and I want to encourage you in that it goes on to say that you will be welcomed by people. As Christians, as we go out into the world, people will welcome us into their home. Think about this for a second. Jesus said, if you walk into somebody's home and a man of peace lives there, literally say out loud, Lord, let your peace rest upon this house. I want to challenge you from now on. When you walk into grandma's house, when you walk into mom and dad's house, when you walk into your brother's and sister's house, when you walk into a friend's house, when you go over to your neighbor's house, when you go to borrow a cup of sugar and your neighbor says, come on in, when you go go into anybody's house, I want to encourage you to take Jesus seriously. And if you walk into somebody's house and you believe this to be a house of peace, I want to encourage you to mutter under your breath, Lord, let your peace rest upon this house. And when the people say, what'd you say? Say nothing. Because <laughs> you're cowards like me. No, do what I do and say, I just want the Lord's peace to rest on your house. And so I just asked him to do that. Because that's what Jesus said to do, because there will be people out there that welcome you. He also said that there will be people out there that don't want anything to do with you, and you will be harassed and rejected. Don't waste your time. Don't try to convince them. Convince them. Don't try to win the argument. Take your shoes off. Pound them together in the driveway as you're headed out to the street. Not really, but you know what it means. Let it go. Move on. You're done there. You're done there. Don't waste what is precious to you in the presence of people that do not want what is precious to you. There are 88,000 people in this county. I promise you there are people out there that want to hear the truth, want to receive the truth, and want to obey the truth. All right, let me keep going. Therefore, you and I are looking for those that the Spirit is already moving in. 
Who can come to the Lord except the Lord call him? And so we recognize this is what's going on. So this teaching, Jesus sends them out and tells them, these are the things that you can expect. So when they come back, he's, he's in essence saying, why were you so excited? Well, don't get excited about demons submitting to you, spirits submitting to you. Why does that impress you? What is the deal? When he saw them, they worshiped, the scripture says, and this is when Jesus is leaving, okay? <laughs> so we have this thing, and he says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. When Jesus sent the 72 out, he gave them authority, but it was a temporary authority. The Holy Spirit is here now in you and I, and it's an eternal authority. And so we need to get a hold of that idea. We don't have to live in our own strength. What kind of life are we living? Let me ask you this question. What kind of life are we living when we are surprised that God does spiritual and powerful things? We shouldn't be surprised. That should be normal for us. You and I, it's, it's like in the book of Acts when, when Peter and John are headed up the temple and they heal the crippled guy and, and then they get hauled in and, and all of Israel is jumping up and down going, yeah, and I like what he says. And I didn't want to use that passage. I wanted to use this one. But I like what, he, John, or what Peter says there. He goes, men of Israel, why does this surprise you? Jesus, that you killed, did this thing. It's awesome. But why does it surprise you? that God healed him. I think it's because we don't live naturally supernatural lives. We live natural lives trying to touch the supernatural. And so because we don't own our identity, when something does happen, we get surprised. And I want to encourage us that we are called to be naturally supernatural. What does that mean for you and I? I keep saying that if you worship a spiritual God, you should expect spiritual things to happen. It means that we should think differently from the world. Doesn't it? Doesn't it mean that we should think differently from the world? Paul says to the church in Rome, Therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holding and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Offer your bodies. Offer your physical body to God as a living sacrifice meaning that you make your physical body obey his commands. See? This is your, um, your, your body's a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of this world that tells you to eat everything, keep everything, buy everything, claw your way to the top, get over, just over top of the guy in front of you, beat him out. It, 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 that's not it at all. It says we need to be not conformed to the pattern of this world, but transformed, and that's an ongoing process, by the renewing of our mind, by recognizing that you and I are spiritual beings. Stop living in a natural or, or, or human mentality. Grab a hold of this thing, because it says then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. So Paul tells us real quick, salvation is offer your life to God in action. Don't think and act the way the world does in your heart. Be transformed into a different person. He also would tell the church in Corinth, the old is gone, the new has come. We operate by faith, not by sight. He says to the church, to the Hebrew people, that faith is being sure we hope for and certain of what we don't see. So we don't live in our hypothetical situations. I know, Pastor Joe, but what if? We can't live there. If you make decisions by what if it fails, you will rarely, if ever, see it succeed. Because you will live in fear of taking a chance, taking a risk, stepping out. So God doesn't live in the what ifs. In the book of Exodus, I love this. You may or may not know this, but when the children of Israel left um, Egypt, 
they were not going to have to fight the nations. God was going to drive the nations out for them. All they had to do was cross the river. They didn't have to kill anybody. They didn't have to fight anybody. They didn't have to deal with it until they sinned against God. And then that war, that, that fighting became a punishment. Look what God said. God said to the children of Israel, I will send my terror ahead of you and throw into confusion every nation you encounter. I will make all your enemies turn their backs and run. And I will send, look at this, I will send the hornet ahead of you to drive out the Hivites, the Canaanites, the Hittites right out of your way. But I will not drive them out in a single year because the land would become desolate and the wild animals would be too numerous for you. Little by little, I will drive them out before you until you have increased enough to take possession of the land. 1.6 million people crossing over into the promised land and God tells them that my original plan is for you to not have to fight, that I'm going to send the Africanized killer bees to push people back out of from city to city to the city. All they had to do literally was walk in and take it. And God, why am I seeing pennies right now? And you're pushing it. I, I don't know why. It, it just, that just, okay, that wasn't part of this. Okay, forget I said that, okay. But there it is. That was God's original plan was just to take the hornets and move people out. And you say, well, what if? No, 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 no. That was the original plan. And God can do it. It's possible. And I see that and I think we've got to stop living in our human understanding and reasoning and start living and thinking differently from this world. We've got to operate by faith. The second thing we see here is that we know that the spiritual world can enter our world. When we're living naturally supernatural, we understand that the, the spiritual world can enter our world. You ever think about that? I get asked all the time, what do you think about ghosts? What do you think about spirits? What do you think about angels? What do you think about demons? What do you think about? What do you think about? What do you think about? Well, first of all, I don't live in fear. I might live a little bit in stupidity. I might. Okay? Sometimes I'm just a little too dumb to be afraid, and so I get myself into trouble. All right? Because I'm willing to take a risk. But I can tell you right now that based upon my relationship to Jesus Christ and my relationship to my eternity with Him, I am not afraid of demons and spirits. They don't bother me, okay? I'm going to live in Christ and Christ's authority. But I know that the spiritual world can enter my world because in the book of Hebrews, Paul writes, don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels, have entertained angels without knowing it. Now, when I say this, please understand this. He's not talking about somebody that bought him a falafel in the drive through line, Okay? That is not what he's talking. They were just an angel up there. They bought my breakfast today. Oh, those people must be angels. No, they are not. Okay, people that tell you that, oh, you know, somebody just passed away and they just became an angel. I'm telling you, they do not understand the truth. People do not become angels. Angels are not babies of loved ones that have passed away. Angels are not that girl that you want to date. Angels are not people that have done nice things for you and please crucify me today and send me home to heaven. But Dale Earnhardt was not an angel. I don't care how many little wings you put on the number three and stick on the back window of your car. He did not become an angel, okay? I don't know what his eternity is. I don't know what his relationship to Jesus with was, but I know that uh, people don't become angels. 
Because the scripture says angels are beings created by God to serve you and I. They serve us. They serve heaven. Not as slaves, but as servants. So speak carefully to them. Angels can, do, and will come into our world to serve us. The book of Hebrews also says that not all angels are ministering, or excuse me, are not all angels ministering um, spirits sent to serve those who will inherit salvation. Angels don't inherit salvation. Human beings that are living a naturally supernatural life do inherit, and they are here to serve you and I while we are down here. In Daniel's dreams, if you read the book of Daniel, he has dreams and visions, and they specifically include Gabriel and Michael. And Michael is attached to the children of Israel, specifically fighting on their behalf. And please don't take my word for it. It's in his, like Daniel 9, Daniel 13. It's in those prophetic visions that he had. They're there, and Gabriel comes and talks to him. It's crazy. So we recognize that the spiritual world can enter our world. And so as we live naturally supernatural, we recognize that we may at different times be entertaining or interacting with angels. Because it happened in Scripture. It really did. And it shouldn't surprise us. Shouldn't surprise us at all. The last thing that I want to share with you is that we're called to live a life with the end in mind every day. Every day, you and I are called to live our lives, make decisions about careers, about moving, about money, about people, about marriage, about relationships, about activity, about sin, about not sin. We are called to make a decision about are we going to do this and is it encouraging our relationship to God and the kingdom of God because we're keeping the kingdom of God in mind. I've shared before, but I had a chance once to move to Dallas, Texas for twice my salary back when we had one child and one on the way. And I was going to be paid $50,000 a year, which was, wow, that was, un, to me, it was, wow, ridiculous. And I remember crying and crying and crying out to God. And I remember saying, God, which, what, do you want me to go back to Ohio or to move to Texas? What do you want? And in the course of all that, I heard God say, what do you want? Because I'm going to be in either place. And I remember that I chose to say, because I wasn't living out of fear, I literally stopped and said, I have a daughter. <clears throat> I have a baby on the way, and I have a daughter. What is best for me and for my children and for my marriage relationship? What will be best? That I live in Texas with twice my salary or that I go back and, and um, just go back to my other job. I was not a pastor at the time. And I made the decision. I just said, you know what? I think what's best for my family is that we stay in Ohio. And we stayed in Ohio. And consequently, here I am in front of you today. But we, we make decisions with the end in mind. In Hebrews chapter 12, it says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, bearing in mind all of the people that have poured into our lives Jesus Christ, everybody that's led us to Jesus, challenged us to Jesus, um, um, inspired us with Jesus, and has gone on to be with God, they are in heaven watching us. It says, Let us throw off everything that hinders us, and the sin that so easily entangles us, and let us run with perseverance the race that is marked for, out for us. That just means our life. Let's just go through our lives fixing our eyes on Jesus. We've got the long term in mind. As we make decisions, we're looking down the road 
and saying, when I stand in front of Jesus, how is this going to benefit? I'm not saying don't have nice things. I'm not saying don't go on vacation. I'm not saying don't get married. I think you should enjoy life. I think if you're in a right relationship with the God that created this world, we should have so much fun that the sinners say, what are you doing? And we get to tell them about God. But we do things with the end in mind. We fix our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And all Paul is saying there is, listen, walking with God hasn't cost you your life yet. Eventually, it ended up costing all of the disciples their lives. It did. But they, they deemed that it was worth it. For you and I, God has given us the power and the gifts to live out our everyday life and accomplish his mission. And we need to wrap our heads around the idea that we make decisions based upon the spiritual being that we are, not the human being that we are. In the book of 1 Corinthians, the scripture says, to each one the manifestation of the Spirit was given for the common good. That right there tells you you belong in as a member of a church. You should be physically in church every Sunday, not attending, but being the church, giving your gifts and receiving uh, instruction, encouragement, and admonition, pouring into other people's lives, going out on the missions trip, because the gifts that God gives us is so that we can come together for the common good of everybody in the group. That's the point of what Paul is saying. He says, To one there is given the spirit of the message of wisdom, to another a message of knowledge by means of the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by that one spirit, to another miraculous powers, to another prophecy, to another distinguishing between spirits, to another speaking in different kinds of tongues, and to still another the interpretation of, of tongues. These are all the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he determines. So as we look at that scripture, we recognize that you and I are supposed to be operating spiritually. We're supposed to be operating naturally, supernatural. Because all of the people that have gone before us in, in, in the scripture, all of our loved ones, our grandmas, our grandpas, people that have modeled Jesus Christ for us, they lived the life that they realized when they met Jesus, it was worth it. That it was worth it. That it wasn't about the houses, it wasn't about the money, it wasn't about the things, it wasn't about the popularity, it wasn't about the size of your church, it wasn't about how fancy you could get. At the end of the day, it, it was about did you chase after Jesus and did you do what he said? Not just what's written here, but what he told you when you got up and had your quiet time with him. Because he wants to speak to you. God still speaks to people. I want to thank those of you that just jumped up and solved the issue last night and showed a young lady what it means to be a part of a community of faith. The air conditioning went out, and man, you just came right to solving that problem. That's what it means to be a tribe. That's what it means to be a community of faith. But we also have to get outside. That's why we take 
153 pair of shoes to Kirksville Elementary. It's why we want to go and drop off those little bags that has a little um, a frosty in it, but there's something in there that says Jesus loves you. Because if we can reach those children, we can reach those parents. And if we can reach those parents, we can continue to increase and encourage the building of the kingdom of God. And I'm telling you, we're looking for lost people. We're not looking for people from other churches. We're not looking to take people from... God is not going to build our church by destroying what he's doing in somebody else's work. We don't increase our flock by stealing sheep. We increase our flock by finding lost sheep. 11% of this county is in church. 89% of it is looking for Jesus. Purpose. Reason for being. Through drugs, through alcohol, through sex. Some of them are perfectly healthy and they just want more money, bigger houses, because somehow they think it's going to solve the problem inside of them. And it's not. That problem, I promise you, is solved by Jesus. But you are called to get that message out. And you know one person. You know one person that's not going to church. They've given up or they've never gone. And God wants you to put them on a post-it note on the windshield of your car. So that you're praying for them every single day day and looking for opportunity. God wants you to have a word of knowledge. God wants the Holy Spirit inside of you to move and act and do his will. God wants a relationship with you. But we have to stop thinking the way the world thinks. I know, Pastor Joe, but what if? Don't go there. Let's just say, I hear the Lord say, and believe it and see what happens. If you're in this room right now and you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, if you're in this room right now and you're saying, I want to live a naturally supernatural life, I want that, can we pray for you? I'm not talking about hysterical. I'm not talking about ridiculous. I'm just saying, you know what? I need to stop putting myself in bondage to what I believe and let God have his way through me. And I want that kind of a life, Pastor Joe. Can we pray for you? These people are up here to pray for you. That's what we want to do. We want to pray for you. We want to pray this, this blessing on you through the Holy Spirit of God. And I pray that God wrecks our lives. And then I pray that he does something so incredible that, that, that people want to know why. So we're going to come up to this, our feet. Michael's going to lead us in this song. I hope I've got the right name right this morning. But we're going to sing this song. That's how I'm going to say it. We're going to sing this song. And we want to pray for you up here. 